When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to History Tea Time. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. The Queen Mom has been coming up a lot for me lately. While researching my recent episodes about the coronation, I looked a lot at the events and footage of the coronation in 1937. Elizabeth Bowes Lyon, the wife of George VI and mother of Queen Elizabeth II, was the last queen consort to be crowned in a joint coronation. 86 years later, Camilla's crowning followed that of Elizabeth's fairly closely. The major difference was that Camilla did not kneel during her anointing crowning and investiture. I predicted as much, partly out of respect to updated notions of women's equality, and partly out of respect to Camilla's knees. At 75, she is the oldest British consort ever to be crowned. Many thought Camilla would choose to wear Queen Elizabeth Bowes Lyon's solid platinum crown, but instead she opted for Queen Mary's crown from 1911. This was likely partly because she preferred the design, but also partly because the Queen Mum knew Camilla and was not a fan. Charles waited until after his dear granny died in 2002 before marrying his longtime mistress in 2005. While I was in London for the coronation, Elizabeth Bowes Lyon popped up many times. We visited the Queen's Gallery at Buckingham Palace, which was built in place of the former Royal Chapel. It was destroyed by German bombs on Friday the 13th of September, 1940. Elizabeth, who was queen at that time, said, I'm glad we have been bombed. It makes me feel I can look the East End in the face. She and her husband's stalwartness made them incredibly popular and boosted morale during the war. They never left London, but they did send their daughters, Princesses Elizabeth and Margaret, to nearby Windsor Castle, which we also visited and also had many echoes of the popular Queen Mum. So now seems like a great time to take a look back at her incredible 101 years of life. Queens of Europe The Queen Mother Elizabeth Bowes Lyon Elizabeth Bowes Lyon was the first non-royal to be married to an English monarch in 400 years. She took on the unexpected mantle of queen when her brother-in-law abdicated amid scandal and was a national symbol of strength in World War II. As queen mother, she bolstered the reign of her daughter, Queen Elizabeth II. Elizabeth was the ninth of ten children born to Claude Bowes Lyon, later the 14th Earl of Strathmore and Kinghorn in Scotland, and Lady Cecilia Cavendish Bentinck. 
The family had extensive coal mining interests, and her father had a particular pride in their noble Scottish lineage. Elizabeth was born on August 4, 1900, in the back of a horse-drawn ambulance on the way to the hospital from her parents' London mansion in fashionable Belgravia. The children spent most of their time at the family's English country estate, St. Paul's Waldenbury and Glamis Castle, their ancestral home in Scotland, where they were educated by a German-Jewish governess. If you're a fan of Downton Abbey, this is the same time period and lifestyle in which the three Crowley girls were brought up. Elizabeth was especially fond of field sports, dogs, and horses. At the age of eight, she was sent to school in London, where she impressed her teachers with her precociousness. At 13, she passed the Oxford local examination with distinction. But as was customary for upper-class girls of the time, her formal education ended there. On Elizabeth's 14th birthday, Britain declared war on Germany. Four of her older brothers served in World War I, and one, Fergus, was killed in action. Another, Michael, went missing in action, and after several agonizing weeks, the family received word that he was wounded but alive in a prisoner of war camp. He was able to return home at the war's conclusion. Much like Downton Abbey, Glamis Castle was converted into a convalescent home for wounded soldiers, which the teenage Elizabeth helped to run. In 1916, a serious fire broke out in the castle, and young Elizabeth kept a cool head and was instrumental in organizing the evacuation and of saving many valuable antiques from destruction. After the war's conclusion in 1918, Elizabeth officially came out as a debutante in London high society. She was a charming young woman with a perpetual smile, and her mother predicted that she would break many hearts. Her group of girlfriends called themselves the Mad Hatters, and young men buzzed about them. One suitor who was particularly keen was James Stewart, who served as equerry, or personal assistant, to King George V's second son, Prince Albert, Duke of York. The prince was known by family and friends as Bertie. When he first met his employee's paramour, he fell head over heels for her. He became a frequent guest at the Bose Lion home and joined Elizabeth's father for many shooting parties in order to spend more time getting to know Elizabeth. Bertie proposed in 1921, and although Elizabeth was very fond of him, she turned him down, as she feared if she were to join the royal family, she would never, never again be free to think, speak, and act as I feel I really ought to. Disappointed, Bertie declared that he would marry no other. His mother, Queen Mary of Tech, was curious about the young woman who had stolen her son's heart and went to Scotland to meet her. She came away convinced that Elizabeth was the one girl who could make her son truly happy. Family and friends on both sides saw how contented the pair were together and encouraged their union. The following year, Elizabeth served as a bridesmaid to Bertie's sister, Princess Mary, and Bertie took the opportunity to further woo her. Despite her misgivings about becoming a royal, she agreed to marry him, and they chose a sapphire and diamond engagement ring. The couple married in Westminster Abbey on April 26, 1923. During her walk down the aisle, Elizabeth unexpectedly stopped and laid her wedding bouquet on the tomb of the unknown warrior in honor of her brother Fergus. This touching gesture became a tradition for royal brides ever since. 
the children of George V were the first to be allowed to marry outside of the royal houses of Europe. This was both a refreshing change and a practical one, as many European monarchies fell in the wake of the First World War, so there weren't many eligible young princesses available. The prince's marriage to a British girl was a joy to the people still reeling from the horrors of the war. Though the newly founded BBC was denied permission to broadcast the ceremony on the radio, as it might be listened to by men in pubs wearing hats. The light-hearted and funny Elizabeth was a breath of fresh air to the strict and formal Windsor family. She never allowed herself to be intimidated by her stern father-in-law, the king, and was an ideal companion and support for shy Bertie, who suffered a stutter after a lifetime of intimidation and discipline bordering on abuse from his father. The newlyweds made a four-month official visit to Kenya, Uganda, and Sudan which they found relaxing despite being much less luxurious than they were used to. Elizabeth made an effort to learn Swahili. Her charisma made up for Bertie's uneasiness during their many public engagements, but his stammer made public speaking a painful ordeal. So Elizabeth encouraged him to seek the help of speech therapist Lionel Logue. The prince continued treatment with Logue for nearly two decades, and his speech was greatly improved, as documented in the 2010 film The King's Speech. On April 21, 1926, the couple welcomed their first child, Elizabeth, known to the family as Lilibet. Bertie wrote to his parents saying that he hoped they weren't disappointed with the granddaughter, as he and Elizabeth had wanted a baby girl. When Lilibet was a few months old, her parents were sent on a royal tour of Australia and New Zealand, and her mother was very miserable at leaving the baby back home. Four years later, Princess Elizabeth was joined by a baby sister, Margaret. On January 20, 1936, George V died, and Bertie's elder brother became King Edward VIII. Before his death, King George expressed his concern about his heir, saying, I pray God that my eldest son will never marry and that nothing will come between Bertie and Lilibet and the throne. The elder son had always been the black sheep of the family. No one was surprised that Bertie was happily married while Edward was still a playboy in his 40s. But Edward also had a common touch with the people. He was concerned about the plight of the poor and supported labor unions, which was not the royal way. At the time of his ascension, Edward was romantically involved with an American divorcee named Wallace Simpson. Because the British monarch is also the head of the Church of England, which didn't allow divorced people to remarry, and because Wallace had connections to the Nazi party, she was seen as an unacceptable wife for the king. After only 10 months on the throne and without consulting his brother and heir, Edward decided to abdicate. In his public address, he stated, I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility and to discharge my duties as king as I would wish to do without the help and support of the woman I love. Bertie and Elizabeth were devastated by the scandal that launched them onto the throne and into the limelight. Neither had ever expected or wanted to be king and queen, but they saw it as their duty to serve their people, so reluctantly took on the heavy mantle. 
great animosity existed between Elizabeth and Wallace. Elizabeth referred to Wallace as that woman, while Wallace called the new queen Cookie because she said she resembled a fat Scottish cook. On May 12, 1937, the date previously planned for Edward VIII's coronation, Bertie, now King George VI, and Elizabeth were crowned king and queen in Westminster Abbey. 11-year-old Princess Elizabeth was elated by the ceremony, but she was also aware of her parents' trepidation as they took on this weighty responsibility. The abdication scandal made a lasting impression on the young future queen, and though she is now in her 90s, she will likely never abdicate the throne in favor of her own son. Elizabeth and Margaret were brought up in a relaxed atmosphere, and the family of four were very tight-knit. Elizabeth instilled in her daughters the importance of good manners, saying that they would get you through anything. Though Queen Elizabeth's formal education had been cut short years earlier, she put great value on continuing to educate herself in order to keep up with the ever-changing world around her. She had a thirst for knowledge, read voraciously and corresponded with many great thinkers of the time, including playwright Noel Coward, undiscovered spy Anthony Blunt, and poet laureate Ted Hughes. And when Adolf Hitler was just beginning his rise in Germany, she read his autobiography, Mein Kampf, in order to better understand this potential new threat. In the summer of 1939, the king, with his queen by his side, became the first British monarch to visit Canada. The tour was a massive success, in no small part thanks to Elizabeth. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. Yeah. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected, as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. The new king and queen eclipsed the popularity of Edward VIII and were no longer seen as a second-best substitution. They also met the Roosevelts at the White House. Elizabeth and Eleanor got on like old friends, and the king and president stayed up late every night talking. The meeting reinforced an alliance that would be of the utmost importance in the coming years. That September, Nazi Germany invaded Poland and Britain declared war for the second time in living memory. Throughout the Second World War, the King and especially the Queen visited troops, hospitals, and factories around Britain to boost public morale. On the Queen's very first visit to the poor neighborhood of London's East End, which was hit especially hard by German air raids, her expensive clothes and jewelry angered the crowd, who jeered and threw rubbish at her. She explained that if the public came to see her, they would wear their best clothes so she should reciprocate in kind. 
She and her dresser adjusted her wardrobe to be more appropriate. Black was too defeatist, while her usual bright rainbow colors were too loud for visiting bomb sites. She instead wore ensembles of dusty blue, rose, and lilac, which had the added benefit of not showing the dust. Hitler saw the British Queen's popularity as a serious threat and called her the most dangerous woman in Europe. Elizabeth refused to leave London or her husband's side, even when their home, Buckingham Palace, was bombed while the King and Queen were there. She responded, I'm glad we've been bombed. It makes me feel I can look the East End in the face. Rumors of a Nazi plot to kidnap Princesses Elizabeth and Margaret forced their parents to consider sending them to Canada for safety. But Elizabeth couldn't bear to part with her beloved daughters, so instead the girls were moved to Windsor Castle, about 20 miles from London, where they would be safe but close. The Queen encouraged women to do their part in taking factory jobs, training as nurses, and joining the Home Guard to serve the war effort. Princess Elizabeth served as a driver and mechanic in the Auxiliary Territorial Service. Throughout the war, the royal family was a symbol of pride and British fortitude and played no small part in encouraging the public to stay the course. In 1945, the Allies won the Second World War and Britain rejoiced. The royal family was as popular as they had ever been, but the stress of the conflict had a serious impact on the king's health. Two years after VE Day, the king and queen and the princesses went on a state visit to South Africa in an attempt to promote unity amidst growing tension between black and white people. They were surprised and disturbed by the hostilities bubbling under the surface of the celebrations. The tour was grueling and further strained the king's health, and the tour's goal of unity was a failure. A year later, the Afrikan National Party took over the country and established apartheid. The four months away had confirmed Princess Elizabeth's love for the dashing young officer she had fallen for years earlier. Prince Philip of Greece and Denmark. The couple were wed in 1947. King George, who had been a heavy smoker for years, began to lose weight and feeling in his right leg. He was diagnosed with lung cancer in 1951. A lung resection operation helped him recover somewhat, but it was decided that Princess Elizabeth and Philip would go on a Commonwealth tour in the King and Queen's place. While they were gone, King George, Elizabeth, and Princess Margaret went to their Sandringham estate for rest and relaxation. They had a happy family dinner and looked at photo albums that evening, and then during the early morning of February 6, 1952, King George died in his sleep at the age of 56. Princess Elizabeth was now queen. She cut her tour short and returned home for her father's funeral and to take on the heavy mantle of monarchy. The newly widowed Elizabeth retired to Scotland for a time to grieve for her husband. She told a widowed friend some years later that living without a beloved spouse never gets better. You just get better at it. But after a short while away, the energetic Dowager Queen returned to London and resumed her royal duties, now in support of her daughter, who was crowned Queen Elizabeth II. The elder Elizabeth became known as the Queen Mother, 
Royal Protocol would have had her addressed as Queen Elizabeth, but that was too easily confused with her daughter's new title. The Queen Mum was there to support her daughter for the next 50 years. When the young queen resumed the Commonwealth tour she had cut short in the wake of her father's death, her mother served as counselor of state and looked after her grandchildren, Charles and Anne. As a retired queen, she had more time to enjoy the things she hadn't been able to do before. She went with friends on holidays in France, Italy, and the Caribbean. She bought and renovated the dilapidated Castle May in Scotland, which she visited twice a year to get away from it all. And she took more interest in horse racing and steeplechase, and collected art including works by Monet and Fabergé. The family faced scandal when Princess Margaret fell in love with group captain Peter Townsend. The couple wished to marry, but Townsend was divorced, and the government refused to sanction the marriage. Margaret was forced to choose between love and her royal position and income. Her mother was disconcerted and wondered where they would live, to which Prince Philip responded, it is possible to buy a house. Under pressure from her family, Margaret decided to give up Townsend. She later married photographer Anthony Armstrong Jones, who also wasn't seen as quite proper for a royal princess, but at least he wasn't divorced. The Queen Mother grew particularly close to her grandson, Charles, who said of her, My grandmother has been the most wonderful example of fun, laughter, warmth, infinite security, and above all else, exquisite taste in so many things. She admired Charles equally, appreciating his humanity and sensitivity. But she was deeply disappointed watching from the sidelines as his marriage to Princess Diana fell apart. Elizabeth was quite traditional about marriage and believed that it was for life. In her day, unhappy marriages were kept private, not splashed all over tabloid headlines. She was devastated when her daughter Margaret was divorced in 1978 and when three of her grandchildren separated from their spouses in 1992. Through it all, the Queen Mother was a steady and popular force in the British royal family. She was famous for her rainbow of colorful, if rather old-fashioned, clothes and hats. She loved to spend on fanciful and frivolous outfits, often to the Queen's penny-pinching dismay. But the mother and her two daughters were always incredibly close. The Queen Mother dealt with the pains and indignities of old age with fortitude and good humor. She had bouts with cancer, cataracts, had an emergency operation to remove a fishbone from her throat, and a hip replacement surgery. On August 4, 2000, the Queen Mother celebrated her 100th birthday with a service of Thanksgiving at St. Paul's and a public pageant. She passed her longevity on to her daughter, Queen Elizabeth, who is now in her 90s and is still going strong. In February 2002, Elizabeth had to say goodbye to her younger daughter, Princess Margaret, who died at the age of 71. Just over a month later, the Queen Mum, feeling unwell, retired to the Royal Lodge at Windsor. She died in her sleep on March 30, 2002, at the age of 101. More than a million people lined up in London to pay respects to the Queen, who had been a fixture and inspiration for all of their lives. She was laid to rest at St. George's Chapel, Windsor, next to her beloved husband and daughter. 
Her charisma, fortitude, and good humor, even in the face of tragedy, was an invaluable contribution to the royal family and is still echoed in their popularity two decades after her death. If you enjoyed this video, please like, subscribe, comment your thoughts, and check out my other royal history videos. If you really want to help, please consider supporting me on Patreon. A link is in the description. Thank you for watching. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. I'll be putting out new episodes every Tuesday, revisiting and revamping my most popular YouTube videos, unburying some of my favorite hidden gems, and adding even more fascinating information for your listening pleasure. Want some visuals with your history? Then check out my YouTube channel, History Tea Time with Lindsay Holiday, where you can find hundreds of videos about queens of the world, royal history, women's history, and more. You can also follow History Tea Time on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. This podcast is part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other great shows like Queen's Podcast, Ancient History Fangirl, Redacted History, and more.